0: Paul is writing to the Thessalonians. It's the first letter to Thessalonica. It's in the fourth chapter that we're reading, and we're picking up at the 13th verse. Paul writes, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so... Through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words this is the word of the lord thanks be to god now i want to start with the very last verse first therefore encourage one another with these words this passage which does give us some window into jesus's return is not so much about perfecting and getting down all the nuances of Jesus' return. This is not about amillennialism, premillennialism, postmillennialism, dispensationalism, and all these other ways that denominations find to distinguish themselves. Paul is writing here a letter of comfort. Encourage one another. Literally comfort one another with these words. Paul realizes that the church in Thessalonica is in some level of distress over the present problem, and he's trying to bring them comfort. He's not just giving them an answer. He wants to bring them comfort. So we need to have that in the back of our mind as we read through this. We need to know that this is a word of comfort. Now, he starts out that he wants them not to be uninformed, suggesting that they didn't know this yet, but he wants them not to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep. Asleep, we all know that that's a euphemism for those who have died. Those fellow believers, those brothers and sisters in Christ who have died he doesn't want those who are still alive like you and I to be uninformed. He doesn't want them to be in a, them or us to be in a position to not understand what transpires. But in particular, he wants them not to grieve as those who have no hope. Now, let's be clear on that. It's not saying not to grieve at all. When we lose someone we love, we care about. This is not an urging not to grieve, and that's only left to those out in the world. This isn't about not grieving when someone dies, that if in some way we grieve or are sad and sorrowful when we lose someone we love, that somehow we're betraying what it is to be faithful before God. That's not the case at all. Paul's not writing that. If any of us have an understanding that thinks that we need to be better about our faith and and, and keep a strong upper lip when someone dies, then we are missing what Paul is saying here. Jesus himself wept when he saw that his friend Lazarus was dead. The idea that we grieve when we lose someone we love to death is understandable. That's not what Paul is writing about here. Paul is making a distinction distinguish between ourselves and those who do not have Jesus. And Paul is referencing the culture that the people at that time lived in, a culture in which, yes, there were some people who believed in an afterlife. It was kind of a strange belief, but more than not, most people looked at this life, the life you and I are living right now, as that this is it. And we have a lot of people this life in this life, too, in which we're living, who really live as if this life is all there is. You've seen the bumper sticker, those who die with the most fabric win, right? I threw that out for you quilters. The idea that this life is all there is. You see, that was a common understanding among the commoners. We can look back at old grave markers, and we can see even now that there was a common phrase that a lot of them would put on those markers. It was simply something like this. I won't give you the Latin, but it says, it it talks about before they ever were, and then when they were, and then that they were not. And it goes like this. I was not. Then I was. I am not. I care not. I'll say it again. I was not, in other words, before they ever came into the world. I was, I lived, I am not, I died, and then that last part, because I've died, I care not. In other words, there's nothing left. I was not, I was, I am not, I care not. That phrase was well known in the culture it was so well known that many markers didn't even carry all those words they just carried the first letter of each of those words you can write just like we have acronyms it didn't make a word of anything but you could see the letters just the first letter of each of those words it was so common the idea that when we die there's nothing left that's it, it's over And Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica, reminding them that, look, because we are in Christ, we have a hope. Different from those who who live this life as if there's no hope to come, we have a hope, and that hope is in Jesus. Remember what I said? A reminder, a challenge and in anticipation. The reminder that Paul is writing to them, that he would have clearly shared with them, even while with them, that because Jesus died on the cross for us, and because God rose him from the dead, that we too have a promise of new life in Christ, that we too, when we die, will be raised from the dead, that there will be a resurrection of us as well. That is what we believe. As Christians, we are people of the resurrection. People who believe that Christ died and rose again, and people who believe that we too, because Christ rose again, that we too will die to our sins through Christ, and we too will be raised. That's a hope in a life to come, a life that we yet do not see, but that is to come. As we sang this morning, oh, the day, the streets, all that we'll see, how glorious that will be. So Paul is writing to them. Now, I don't want us to misunderstand. It's not as though when Paul was with them that he didn't talk about, hey, because Jesus died, we too will be able to be raised. He talked about that. He talks about that in every community of faith he visited. It's evident through his letters. And even this letter makes it clear because he goes on to say, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again... And then he goes on to say, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. He actually cuts, makes some shortcuts there. He's pulling from a creed, most scholars believe, simply put, that Jesus died and rose again. A simple creed of the early church. Jesus died and rose again. I could go into the nuances of why it is they believe that that's a creed, but largely put, what Paul is doing, he's borrowing something that they know and he's putting it into their letter, reminding them, reminding them that because Jesus died and rose again, that we too will be raised to be with him. But we haven't yet got to the problem. We haven't yet got to the issue why Paul is writing this for them. Because as I shared with you, he would have already shared with them that the good news of Jesus Christ is that our sins are forgiven through him, that he's died on the cross for our sins, and that he was raised from the dead. And because of that, that our sins are, are gone through Jesus Christ, and we too have the promise of new life, of being raised to be with him, he would have gone through all of that. So in many ways, he's covering ground they already know. He's reminding them who we are all to be. That we are in Christ. And we have a promised resurrection. But this leads us to, then why is he writing it again? What's going on? What's the issue? If we can see that much on face value, if we already knew that before we walked in the doors today, what is in here that takes a little more work to see? What is in here that makes it necessary for him to write it again, to remind them what they already know? Well, if we were to dig a little further, if we were to play those words backwards and forwards, we'd find that they have an additional grief when someone they knew and loved died. An additional grief for someone who was in the faith. You see, because they lived in a manner that admittedly is different than most of us live today. They were the early church. They were part of a people who believed that Jesus was going to come again and soon. They had every reason to believe that Jesus would come in their lifetime. And I think if we pulled one another and asked ourselves, honestly, if we really think that Jesus will return while we're living, chances are most of us would say, I'm not sure, I don't think so, I hope so. But most of us would hedge our bets because we've got 2,000 years we look back on and say, well, why would it be in our time? The problem and issue that the church in Thessalonica was dealing with was they had a concern for those they loved and were in the faith who had died, that because they had died, they were going to miss out on the big moment. The concern, the problem was they worried that those they loved who had died were going to miss the big moment. What is the big moment? The big moment of Christ's return. That Christ was going to return, and they were going to have that moment in which they would be vindicated in front of everyone else. That Jesus indeed is Lord, that they were following the right God. They were going to have this incredible moment and they were living with anticipation for that day and they felt in some ways that those whose race had been cut shorter, those who had fallen asleep, were going to miss out on that triumphant moment. We have that all the time in life. We're looking forward to something, we're hoping to do something, and, and something in life comes up and we have to miss out on something we were looking forward to, a big moment. Sometimes it's huge moments, like looking forward to a, a wedding for one of our children and, and suddenly illness catches us or something catches us and we can't attend an important moment. I wanted to be at graduation, but I couldn't because I was sick. I was too sick. I couldn't get out of bed. You got the idea. And so we grieve that loss of that anticipation of what could be and what we're looking forward to, all the dreams and imaginations. And the early church was excited. And this is the challenge to us. We're being reminded this is the challenge. (sighs) That as a church, not just as Hamilton reformed, But as the Church of North America, we often live without any thought about whether Jesus will will return in our lifetime. It's just not on our radar. In fact, there are a lot of things in our own life we like, and we kind of want to live more of that out before Jesus comes. The challenge for us is to renew that, that longing for Jesus' return. The challenge is to anticipate and get excited. I mean, I, think about it. When you have company coming over, the house is pretty clean anyways, but you do that much more preparation, right? Right? You make sure everything is properly put in its place. Maybe you vacuum once more, even though it's not the normal day for vacuuming. You do preparation for the anticipated guests. All of us do this. We get ready for the things we know are coming. And part of the challenge for the church Part of the challenge to our faith is to live once again with anticipation and believing that Jesus is going to come. It's what inspires us to work on our faith. It's what inspires us to be that much more put together. Not because our being put together saves us, not at all. But as we work on who we are to be as followers of Jesus Christ, part of what drives that is, he could be here today. Today. And if not today, probably tomorrow. You see the change in thinking? What, how it shifts what we might start thinking about and what we might start working on? Suddenly other things drift further into the background and we start thinking about, Those items that we said we'd always work on in ourselves, but they start to become more pressing. The letter that we're reading is to another time, and it to a people that really believed and had every right to believe that Jesus was going to return in their lifetime. Their problem was they felt bad. And we're grieving for those they loved and who were in the faith, who had died before, and we're going to miss the big event. But Paul is writing a letter of comfort, saying, oh, no, 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 don't think that way. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. He keeps pushing on it, saying, For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, in other words, us who are still living, will not proceed. That's, in other words, we're not going to be first. We're not going to precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, they will be there in that final time. And they may even be there ahead of us. And here's the anticipation part. These last parts of verses seem kind of simple. But Paul was conveying quite a bit. First off, there's this whole word that a lot of times people uh, refer to as rapture because that was the Latin for the word. But it, in here, in this version, it's um, that will be caught up together the word really is to be snatched up and paul is being somewhat playful here because it's a word that could be used for all manner of things it can be both positive and negative it can be used for anything that's caught up or snatched quickly taken quickly but you know what it was it was a word that was very common in usage to talk about when someone died they were snatched away it was a common way in which one referenced someone dying they were snatched away and now paul takes that word that concept and turns it on its head that we too will be snatched up, not snatched from life to death, but from life to life, that we who are living will be raised up, snatched up to be with. And here is the really cool part. I love this part. And the problem is translation will never get it right. Not because I know better, but because they have a challenge here. In verse 17, it says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up, snatched up together with them, that is, those who have died before us. We will be snatched up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Those two words, to meet, sound basic. They're on the face of it. Hey, we're going to meet the Lord in the air. The word in there. This is one of those Greek things one of those nerdy moments as far as you really want to peer behind this curtain. You want to know this. The word used to meet, that's translated to meet in our translations here, is a word that is used on only one occasion. There's no exceptions. This word is always used on one occasion. It's used to describe one circumstance. It is never used differently. Whether it's outside the biblical text or even within the biblical text, it is always used in the same context. What translators end up saying in English, to meet. In the times of Paul, when a big name, when a dignitary... When a high up, when let's say the emperor would come to a city. What would happen is a delegation from the city would go out to meet that higher up. They would go out several miles to meet that higher up. And that delegation, to be part of that delegation was to be among the elite of the city, to be among the best and the brightest, if you were chosen to be part of that delegation, to go out and meet this famous person coming, you knew you had a place of standing, that you were chosen for a purpose. You were being honored as you were going forth to honor the one coming. That was your role. In the New Testament... This word is used two other times. It's used when, peop, uh, when Jesus is talking about the ten virgins and their candles and keeping their wicks trimmed. It's used about them going out to meet the bridegroom. They are a delegation that goes out and meets and then brings the bridegroom, what, away? No, back to the wedding. The other occurrence is when Paul and it is being... Um, Accused of all sorts of things, and eventually he has to appeal to Rome to see, hear his case, to the emperor to hear his case. And when he finally gets close to Rome, a delegation of Christians who have heard that Paul is being brought to Rome, even though he's being brought under terms as a prisoner, they go out to meet him and escort him back into the city. It is a delegation. And it is an honored place of being to go out and meet and escort the one who is coming. And that is the word. that translators struggle to put all that into words. So they say that we'll be raised up into the clouds to meet oh, more, so much more. What Paul is saying to the church in Thessalonica is look at you're worried about those who died before. But the truth is, they will be there with us. We will be gathered together. We will be snatched together. And what will we be doing? We will be snatched together to be the delegation that meets the Lord upon his return, that we will be snatched up into the clouds not waiting down him for him to return here, but actually going up and meeting him in the clouds to greet him and to be with him and to celebrate with him. That is the hope that we have. That is the anticipation that we have, that we will go to be with him and that we will come as a delegation with him back to this world. That is what Paul is writing. And that is why he's telling them to encourage one another, to comfort one another. Because any fears that they might have missed out. Any concerns that when will we see our loved ones. Paul washes them away to say, oh, there is a day coming. That day that the Lord is returning, it is going to be a joyous day. It's not a day where we sit back on the sidelines and wonder, what do we do? It is a day where we get to be gathered up as that special delegation to meet and greet him and then return with. It is a powerful word of encouragement. So we're being reminded these words of hope that Paul gives, we are being reminded that we are people of the resurrection. We are being challenged to remember that our Lord is going to return and that we should expect him in our lifetime because that changes how we live. And we should live with anticipation because when that day comes, we won't be watching from seats far away. We won't be wondering where our place is. No, we will be part of the chosen delegation to meet our Lord and escort him back to his kingdom. May God be praised. Let us pray. Almighty God, we praise your holy name. We lift up the name of Jesus, a name that is above all names. And we give glory to you for your precious gift of this mighty Savior. And Jesus, we look forward to your return. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Oh, looking forward to that glorious day. now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and forevermore. Amen.